Welcome to the Harnessing Happiness podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. Thank you as always for stopping by and listening to my podcast, which for regular listeners, regular listeners even, (laughs) will know I sponsor myself. So I am Sarah J. Naylor and that's where you can find me at sarahjnaylor.com. I'm a businesswoman, coach, podcast host, who knew, speaker, writer, author, etc. So if you want to find out more about me, please do head over to sarahjnaylor.com. I like to keep it short because I like to get on with the show. So I'm going to head over now to my fabulous guest, Danny, or Dan as he likes me, but not Daniel because he's not a Daniel, (laughs) as I have just discovered. So I'm going to hand over to Dan and let him introduce himself. Thank you very much, Sarah. I appreciate you having me on. Hello to everyone who's listening. Uh, My name's Danny Matthews. And instead of a long backstory, I'll just tell you the meat of what I'm working on at the moment, which uh, I believe that the best way that if you're the type of person that wants to make a change in the world, I think the best way to do that is to create it yourself. I can't think of a better way to create change than through what I call a meaningful venture, which is basically people and organizations that try to solve a bigger problem. I invest my own capital, but also my own time and creativity to help people create brands that do good in the world. So in short, I help people turn ideas into businesses and then businesses into global forces for good. And the two ways I mainly do that is through a rapid brand creation process that I call Brand Sprints and also Founder Institute, which is the world's largest pre-seed accelerator. And that is what takes up most of my time. So I've got a a keen interest in sustainability and run the business as a a carbon neutral business. So a lot of my efforts are towards good business practice if you like brilliant yeah because i mean you are such a creative aren't you 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 that is you dan and i only met probably about was it a week or two ago we were introduced by somebody within our network and yeah i mean dan's story is really interesting because i mean i mean i'm passionate about people being aligned with themselves their talents their passions their careers etc your story i mean we can sort of circumnavigate it which brought you to this point but that whole creative stuff sort of stitches it all back together doesn't it i'm a believer that life's an illusion of your own creation and i believe that you can create it in any way shape that you want to it's just having that belief in yourself and you obviously take that idea that those people have and then create that into a business and as you say into a global recognized whatever it is (laughs) product service etc but your story kind of started out in creativity and then kind of went a different loop if i could put this this story into a title or, or something for people to remember it by it would probably be the illusion of happiness because when I was a kid I was desperate to do something creative if you imagine a bunch of kids in a classroom and someone asking what do you want to be when you grow up most people would shrug their shoulders and I was the kid at the back that kind of you know hand shut up and I knew exactly what I wanted to do and I wanted to create things. I wanted to draw and design. And, and uh, you know, a lot of classes were about building make-believe shop fronts for food outlets or what, shops or whatever it was. And, and I loved all that. But the school I went to was an all-boys school in, um, in, a, in a town called Coventry or a city called Coventry. In the dark ages, they used to send people there to hang. Gives you a, an idea why I left. <laughs> um, but, for all those listening living in Coventry, I'm sure it's not like yeah, that now. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's changed. So I went to an all-boys school there and it was a a public school but single gender and they had a I don't know a plan to become a sports academy and because of that there was no real support or encouragement to draw for a living or you know do something creative so uh, I feel that I was let down by 
the education system a little bit. So I just, like most people, went and got a job and then went after bouncing from job to job for a number of years and trying to find the creative jobs again. So I owned a tattoo shop for a number of years. I went through the Prince's Trust to start an eco-friendly print and design business about almost 20 years now. So that was way before, you know, this eco thing became a pretty sexy industry, as (laughs) some people look at it as now. You know, and and that was really interesting, but that never went anywhere in the end. And so uh, over the years, I ended up in just a job like everyone else. And I was a account manager for a a medical insurance broker. Real sexy. Um, (laughs) Not very creative by (laughs) all accounts. very creative. (laughs) Uh, but after a number of years, I really enjoyed it and ended up relocating to where I am now and uh, just on the outskirts of Sirencester and Cotswolds. Very nice. Very different. Which to is Coventry. very different. Oh, yes, absolutely. Very uh, posh. <laughs> yes, yes, very different. You know, we now get to raise our family here and have all those nice things. But when, when that happened, I ended up going and setting up my own business with an old colleague. And we grew a insurance and protection business into mortgages. So we both decided... We've been running this business for a while and we're growing it. Where to next? And we realized that most of the people we spoke to were getting insurance to cover their life insurance, protection, health insurance. But it was always to protect an asset like a house or a you know, a pension or whatever it was. And we went, well, we could probably do mortgages. So me and my business partner, we went and got qualified. Yeah, very quickly, rapidly, quickly. Yeah, so we, we did one of these kind of two-year courses in two weeks. <laughs> That's really Just goes to show what you can do when you set your mind to it, though, doesn't it? Oh, God, yeah. I, I, it was brutal. You know, in all honesty, it was let's let the business die for a few weeks and every hour of every day was spent studying. I, I reckon we studied 17, 18 hours a day for two weeks, seven days or 14 days in total. But we had the exam already booked, so we had to. <laughs> so we just booked it right from the beginning and we had to pass it. So we just, oh, we're, you know, we did like what we needed to do. Launch yourself into something and then sort of work out how to achieve it yeah, afterwards. Do you know, yes. I think one of my mottos of life is the answer is yes, what's the question is usually how my life goes. Because we get presented with opportunities and we just kind of have to take them and whether it's the right time or not. Yeah, that's how I ended up writing a book because I'd booked myself onto my first ever sort of talk at the Best You Expo in 2016. I had to defer it to 2017, I think it was. No, it was 2017. I had to defer it to 2018, something like that. I can't remember. Because I suddenly thought, oh, yes, maybe I need something to promote. (laughs) I'll write a book, as you do. Just a small task like that. Yeah, why not? But yeah, it's, um, that's what launched me into uh, back into creativity because I, as soon as I got in mortgages, I realised that the system is broken. You know, it was loads of paperwork and it was really lengthy process and it took months and months to get a mortgage through. And actually, I think I calculated that it would take between 10 and 15 hours of work before I knew if I was going to get paid or not because you would do all of the meetings and the information taking and what's called a fact find, present the options, do the paperwork, apply for the mortgage, get the like there's so much paperwork involved and it was so much work before I knew whether I was actually going to get paid a fee or not I know how mortgages work and the decisions that lenders make maybe I can make something myself that can do a lot of this work for me I went to the internet and I searched for form software and digital signature software and all these things that are really readily available. I built a proof of concept and I called it Morgi Digital Mortgages. And it got a lot of interest from people. And eventually one company said, can you come and build this for us? Because we're going to go and bid for a government contract. And we think this will help us win it. So I was taken on for 15 months to do this project to essentially build software. I'd never done it before. <laughs> it was a brand new thing to me. And I'd never managed a project or a software team or you know anything like that. I just... 
I kind of said yes and figured it out, you know. Yeah, but you you weren't actually doing the programming itself, though, were you? You were actually doing the sort of the, the sort of the creative thought process that then they would have to do all the techie bits behind it. Is that right? I call it a logic string set. So it's uh, it's basically a yes no argument. So at every stage of the mortgage process, it would ask you questions about where you work, how what your salary is, if you get bonus, if you got a pension, what house you live in, all these questions. It would make decisions based on questions you answered. So all I needed to do was understand what the logic was to the answer. So if they say no, what does it do? If they say yes, what does it do? And I mean, you, you could fill three walls, like you could fill an office wall with, with this logic string set. So I essentially did that. I designed the front end or how it would look, and then I gave it to developers and managed the process of then building that. And halfway through the process, the company that employed me to come and do it for them, uh, they won the government contract and it was worth three and a half billion pounds. Oh my God. I bet you wish you'd charge them on sort of percentage of win. <laughs> The smart person would have gone on commission, but it was it was a good offer, you know, to go and build it. Um, just wasn't that good of an offer. But did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy doing that? Yeah, do you know, I, I loved it. I, I really loved the challenge. I loved the opportunity it gave me, the doors it opened to speak to people. You know, I was having amazing conversations in the fintech startup world. I was meeting people like the founders of banks and uh, chief executives of banks. I mean, I was there was one stage where I was sitting in a boardroom with, uh, you know, uh, I think eight banks, uh, the chief executives, including the Financial Conduct Authority and the Competition and Markets Authority and a few others, basically discussing why I could take a pen and forge anyone's signature on a piece of paper. And yet 90% of the banks in the room wouldn't accept a digital signature that was basically time, date, location stamped and verified with the passport office or DVLA. Couldn't understand why I, why they were asking me to get clients to sign a piece of paper and put it in the post when it could be done instantly online. It was a real bizarre time for, and it was a bizarre time, but a really interesting and really good time for opportunity for fintech startups and things so that's completely changed now and i think it is still the only broker focused digital mortgage application on the market so is it still being used did you did you do anything yeah yeah, wow. yeah it was a it was a big um i mean the three and a half billion pound contract was over i think six years still running i think so i mean you enjoyed doing it but it had its downside of course just a bit yeah i mean to give you an overview of my life at the time, me and my wife were going through a difficult time trying to have children. So we, we had two failed rounds of IVF before we had our first child. My father-in-law had just been diagnosed with cancer and we were traveling backwards and forwards to Birmingham to kind of care for him and uh, between all this project. So there was a lot going on at the time, as well as working six days a week up at 4am most days on the train or coach to London there are more times than I'd like to admit to where I wasn't home till midnight. And it was it was tough. It was really straining. And I missed a lot of the signs of uh, stress and, and anxiety and things because I was so busy and I was so just in motion all of the time. And, and I think the reason for that is I was very driven. And part of the reason I call it the illusion of happiness, but I was very driven by money and, and thought that that would be the be all and end all. And, and this illusion of happiness I had where if I just finish this project and get all the money and get all the things, then it would be then my life will be sorted. But one day on the day that I was supposed to present the final project, I remember waking up a little bit later than usual. I was usually so on the ball, getting up out of bed and jumping out and getting in the car or whatever. But that one day I was a little bit late and um, I got up, grabbed my bag, threw some snacks in, can of ginger beer, 
bag on the back, went to uh, the car. I was in Birmingham at the time with my father-in-law and drove to the town centre. I was getting the coach that day, not the train, because the timings were different. Uh, so I got on the coach, settled. But as soon as I got off the coach, had to get on a tube. I got on the tube, got off the tube, and it was, you know, connections everywhere. Really, like, even just for a train or just for a travel journey, it was so stressful. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just stressed thinking yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. God. You know, even the, the pace that I'm telling you is, like, stressful. No, I, I know, uh, I know. I feel it. I sense it. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I got off at Lime Street where, where the client was um, not far from there. And it was the first time I really stopped. And as I stopped, I had to stretch. And I remember stretching my arms out and kind of touching the bottom of my back and instantly went, why is my shirt wet? And something in my brain triggered. And I realized that the can of ginger beer, as I was running for the coach, had exploded all over my laptop. And I wasn't going to be able to present this project today. My nervous system uh, reacted to that. And I fell to the ground in the middle of central London, uh, lost all of the feeling in my legs from the waist down, could hardly speak. I lost speech for a while and didn't know what to do. When I finally pulled myself together and strangers were dragging me off the floor, I uh, decided to call the first person I thought of, which was my wife. And the second she picked up the phone, it happened again and uh, couldn't really communicate and decided that decided in that moment that that was enough. That was my body. I didn't know at the time, but since speaking to people in the therapy field, you know, that is your body. When your nervous system breaks down like that to the point where it paralyzes you, that is your body and your brain connecting and saying, stop, like it's enough. Yeah, it it took about two months to recover from that. But in that process, I found my creative child again. And I was drawing at the table, dining table of a friend's house. And my wife walked past uh, and touched me on the shoulder and said, remember, you wanted to be a designer when you were a kid. And I went, yeah. <laughs> and she said, why don't you do that? And it was, I, and I think it was the first time since I was about 15 that anyone had ever shown any encouragement or support to do something like that as a career. And as simplistic as it sounds, that's what I did. And the immediate relief <laughs> of knowing that actually m- maybe the thing that I was happy doing in that moment could be a career for me was almost true in my mind and that was enough to get me started yeah I guess I realized that the happiness I was chasing all along wasn't worth the money (laughs) we need money don't we because we need it to sort of exchange it for services and products and things like that but it's not about chasing the money for the money's sake it's it's valuing yourself and your services for what you provide but actually it's doing what you do because you're passionate about it and what you 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 love about it but it's also being mindful even when you are doing something that you love doing because obviously you got really I mean the whole story about getting involved and creating and delivering you can get caught up into that sort of that passion and it becomes an overdone strength because you're kind of like oh yeah it's great I'm loving it it's happening it's I'm doing this and then suddenly it's like like your body goes uh no I think you need to stop (laughs) and you are going to stop but you know, it's, it's it's learning your lesson and not to get caught back up in that again. But yeah, absolutely, it's it's so important to follow what you what you what you're happy about doing. And and actually, you know, your wife's support in that respect that's so empowering. It's so powerful, and it's so much what I wish for the world really. And that's you know where the harnessing happiness kind of comes from because it is. It's about harnessing what makes you happy. It's about identifying what that is and exploring it and doing and reach and just making it happen because. 
Life's also an illusion of your own creation. So it's what is it you do enjoy doing? How can you make it work? And But having the support of somebody that believes in you and wants you to be able to achieve that. And that's where coaching comes in as well, because actually the best one in the world, family and friends might say to you, oh, why, do you, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Or you oughtn't to do this or pull you down or whatever they might say to you. But it's about... Yeah, being with a supportive community or, say, a coach that's going to help you work that through and make that actually happen. But that support, it's invaluable, isn't it? Yeah, and it only takes one person is, uh, I think, a really good part of that that story of mine. It really does just take one person. It doesn't have to be a loved one. It can be a coach, as you say. Or, I mean, the amount of coaches I've spoke to over the years is obscene, <laughs> really, you know, through through work, you know. And, um, and actually, a lot of my very early design career when I did switch was working for coaches that had content and courses and programs and things. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that people would usually pay for their help i was getting this like back office view of i was seeing all of their content and all of the stuff they train and i had exposure to the different methods and things like cbt and nlp and can't remember what the tappy thing is but that's, oh eft yeah. <laughs> emotional freedom uh, technique <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, so i had exposure to all of these things and it was it was only a matter of time really before i decided to invest in that kind of thing and you know over the years just through probably tens of thousands um, uh, an incredible mindset coach and then someone in business and someone for something else and and it's great to get the experience of so many different people in different specialist areas that's had a lot of impact on how quickly I've managed to then drive my design business up essentially trying to plug I think what I had is 110 grand gap that I had to fulfill so it wasn't easy but the, it's just one person that need that is that trigger but then it's all up to you <laughs> then you've got to actually go go for it yeah but having somebody that believes in you and supports you in that way and actually like you've just said you've invested in coaches mentors or what have you and it's I mean I've had this discussion quite a lot just recently with people you know you can talk to people and they go, oh, well, I don't need a coach. Well, well, I do need a coach, but I'll, I'll, I've got all these other things I need to sort out and problems. Well, that's what a coach will help you sort out. You need to coach them to understand that they need a coach. The value of actually working with somebody that can support you, like you've just said, that that helps you speed up the whole process of all the things that you're doing. Because it's getting somebody's specialism, their knowledge, their help, or just that support that gives you that platform where you're giving yourself that time, that hour, whatever it may be, to explore, to empty your head, because you're, you're not then sort of looking at emails, answering phones, being in business meetings. You are just with that one person having a, a session to explore and have somebody support and add encouragement or give you or ask questions that then facilitate other ideas, because you've got all the answers from within, but it's yeah, when you're just sort of thinking it through in your head or even if you're just writing it down, but it's when you verbalise, when you speak it out, that's when it starts to take shape. That's when the ideas come because you're emptying it all out and it's all it's all coming out and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, I could do, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, and I know so and so, they could help me with this or that. It's fascinating when you watch people. I mean, I've got a coaching client that I've been working with, and she's just she, she'll be asking me a question, and she'll go, "Yeah, but I know the answer to that. Of course, it's this, that, and the other. I know so and so, and I can do it." Yeah, 
funny. It's um, it because of the work I do in branding. It's quite it's quite funny. Essentially, my job is to draw out of the the team or the leadership team or whoever it is in front of me in like the strategy workshop what they believe about about the business and their culture and their values and things. And it's funny then when I design an identity or I show them the strategy document, I almost have to warn them like none of this is going to be new to you, by the way, because I took this information from you. You know, and it, and it's but people don't quite understand. It's not like a conscious thing that we get. So it's quite funny when I read it back to them and they're nodding away. And sometimes they had to, I had one yesterday, a presentation, and they said, does anyone actually, you know, when you tell them this, does anyone just go, no, it doesn't feel right? And I said, well, no, there's no reason for them to because I've all I've done is taken the information they gave me and presented it in a way that's easily consumed and easily communicated for other people. That's really what brand messaging is or branding is well yeah i mean if you were to present them with something completely different i mean yeah they'd be shot they'd be shot they'd be like that's not us yeah but yeah i don't make things up i draw it from you you know (laughs) i have to ask you talking about branding it's just dropped into my head can't remember what they were but they've they changed their name to which is the financial services a a r b d r n i mean what was that about is branding It was, I can't remember what it was, but I'm pretty sure it was an inside job. Weren't they Standard Life or something like that originally? I forget now, Was it the Royal Bank? Was it the Royal Bank? I can't remember. It's one of the financial, there are financial services, pensions business. I can't remember what they were. And then they rebranded to a Aberdeen. They acted on a trend, which was to remove vowels from the name to try and make it trendy, you know, financial services trendy. And visually, they did quite a good job. But the the strategy around the naming, I don't get. Uh, Now, I do get in the same industry, I do get the recent change for St. James's Place Wealth Management, for example. They've removed wealth management from the name. So it's just St. James's Place now. So they're trying to reach a younger audience. And so they've removed the phrase wealth management because to a lot of young people, it makes no sense whatsoever no it just to me wealth management always in, it suggests sort of people in their their 70s with lots of farms yeah or, or um to a lot of people especially a younger generation that care more about the context of investments so where the investments are going rather than how they do it to a lot of young people wealth management means greed and capitalism and you know all those things so actually they needed to have a softer approach to what they were doing so a lot of their brand is very quite energetic and young and uh, what they've changed it to Uh, even the logo is very different so kind of targeting a younger audience I think and and that was a good move for them Uh, I think it was a right time for them to do that as the business changes and they get bigger and bigger and uh, they've just published their um, figures for last year and um doing great again I, th- I forget the figure but i think 17 billion under management oh or my gosh really wow wow it's branding so powerful isn't it and so that's where you kind of come in now with all your creativity but you also with doing that you create opportunities don't you you're talking about the young people you create an awful lot of opportunities in the stuff that you do you're then sort of engaging with people who are studying or university and stuff like that. So you're quite a philanthropist uh, there's another word i came across probably about a year ago which is altruism which is uh, almost like people first. Yes, altru- altruistic. Yes, yes. A lot of words. I was trying to do trajectory earlier, and that was difficult. <laughs> yeah. Along uh, with dynamism uh, and and innovative, I think people struggle with that. Another gin, please. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but I do. Um, I think it comes from my my story, I guess. You know, of being a being a young person in an education system that doesn't value creative industries. Where now, looking back on my career. 
I only see creative as the driver for change, really. If you think about every advert you see or every print ad you see or billboard you see, brochure, even down to just a sign on, on a shop or whatever it is, it has the power to change your mind about something. And I think that's where the power is in, in branding and advertising and doing it right, really. So I've become very interested in the psychology of certain things like colour and uh, something called semiotics, which is the science behind symbols. If you ask a certain demographic the question, what colour is an apple? A lot of people that are interested in therapies or technology or, or things that are fairly, uh, say, modern in the grand scheme of things will go green. A lot of very traditional, classic, mature kind of demographic will go red. <laughs> That's and... me down the hill for 57 then, isn't it? <laughs> But no, but the reason for that is because of the stories that were told as children about Adam and Eve and about Snow White and the apple's always red. The symbol of an apple has created an imprint in our mind and gives us a feeling. So if those particular people, and that's why knowing your audience is really important, if you want to connect with an audience that is quite mature and classic, you would use symbols like apples and the colour red because it connects with them emotionally. And they're all the underlying science behind branding so it's not just picking a color palette and going oh that's pretty let's stick that in our yeah yeah it's uh there's actually some science behind it and that's what i'm really interested in you know if how typography and color and shape and symbols affect the way we interact with companies it's that learned behavior which you know previously we were talking about in terms of between the ages of zero and seven, you're completely taking information in. You don't make decisions effectively for yourself at that age as a norm. You know, you are very absorbent and what you see and what you absorb, it becomes imprinted and it forms your behaviour and responses. And yeah, and that's what can trigger. And obviously, as we grow up and we have those decisions, we can change our behaviour because we aren't our behaviour, but we have to learn to evolve to do things. And we invariably learn from those around us and, and what we see and what we visualise and what's going on. So it's powerful stuff, isn't it? So it's uh, there's so much symbol. I mean, I like symbolism. I like all of that kind of thing. There's this you know, Historically, there's so much in symbol and so many symbols and so many things and so many stuff that have been used for the wrong reasons. And, you know, and then they become tainted and there's just, yeah, all sorts. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, we could... It's a subject I could, I could quite happily talk to you about for hours. I mean, I've not even done that myself, but it's, it is fascinating. I could definitely talk about it for hours. Yeah. <laughs> but don't you find, I mean, on that subject, though, you know, when you go into a bookshop, for example, um, and you look for a book, you are drawn to a, a typeface and a colour of a spine, aren't you? Because that's the first thing that you see. I mean, I, I'm, I can scan, so I kind of, I think subconsciously will pick out the authors that I know, but equally so, if, it's a, if something jumps out to me, it might be just, I don't know, perhaps it might be a, a, a silver typeface on a teal spine. And I go, oh, well, that looks interesting. I'll pull that out. Whereas if it was sort of like beige on brown, it wouldn't grab me at all. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's really funny. I've d I've done quite a lot with publishers, and I have a publishing partner that uh, that I do author stuff for. Let's call it. And so I'm I'm very interested in things like reading patterns and uh, colours and things, and how you would design a book cover to actually get people's attention, especially when you've got to read it from. <laughs> That thin of a spine, you know, especially in nonfiction, because a lot of the books are the same kind of size, they're, you know, 60,000 words, 200, 200 to 250 pages type thing. Yeah, that's why mine's green. That's mine's, mine's t turquoise with white writing. <laughs> 
stands out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you do have to kind of visualize where it's going to sit on a shelf. And if they are all kind of white and red and black, you know, where do you put yours that's you know, bright blue or orange? Or... Yeah. And you see, as soon as you said white and red and black, I was thinking business book. Yeah. Exactly. It's so funny. So, but now, as I say, you, but you do, don't you? I think we, we've, <laughs> as is the way with my conversations, I call them my Ronnie Corbett moments. So I'll kind of go off. For anybody that's no Ronnie Corbett, just Google him. <laughs> and he's sitting in his chair, he goes off at tangents. You do engage with graduates and students, undergraduates, don't you, to put them onto projects and pay for them. So they've got the experience for their, for their sort of go towards their degree, which then helps. An actual fact, I mean, I'm doing some, through my recruitment business, I'm recruiting for a, a, a French-speaking finance graduate at the moment, whereas they don't want somebody with heaps of experience. They've at least had some work experience so they understand the concept of getting up in the morning, going to work, <laughs> routine. But And that's the kind of thing that by delivering, well, giving them that opportunity that you are doing, provides them with. And it's so important in today's world to actually have some sort of hands-on experience in addition to just your studies. Yeah, and there's there's quite a big, there's like a bigger problem in the in the creative industries like writing and design. It's really tough. You know, I, I had a an unconventional route into design, which I think really... Uh, via mortgages, yeah. yeah it's by, it's yeah, not exactly. the normal one. <laughs> I do think it that has put me in a place of advantage in some ways. But so when I go and speak to students in universities and colleges, there's a great thing that I do right at the beginning, which is quite disarming for them, which is really good, which is, you know, I'm a self-taught designer that runs my own design business and is happier and more successful than I've ever been in my life, especially from the 10 years of working in financial services, where I should know about money and wealth. Every single student in that room is more qualified than me to do my job how great is that so they're they're already ahead so i love i love speaking to young people about it and the reason is i i realized that i didn't get that support or encouragement and and that kind of thing and, and i know it just takes one person one trigger one thing that i say that makes them go maybe i can like maybe i'll give that a go or maybe i'll ask him if you know there's some tips uh, but the bit the kind of wider problem is that even through work experience, they don't get what they need to go into the working world because work experience generally, not for everyone, but for most people is you go to an office and you shadow someone and make the tea and that's not work experience. So I've tried really hard to to make sure that the work experience that I do give, not just through traditional ways, but um, is going to be valuable for them. So when the uh, the pandemic was really good for that because especially for university students or younger people between, I think it was 18 and 25, because the government said, we're going to run a kickstart scheme. And if you want a young person in your business, we will partly pay their salary for six months. So if you have the resource and the time to give someone real working experience for that six months with the view of them getting a job after that, then you can apply and you can get them. So I applied for eight as you do <laughs> as you do because when i started the business which wasn't that much before uh, the pandemic happened i sat with a business coach and he said what what do you see the business looking like in five years and i said oh like agency so it would be video editor illustrator designer social media manager customer success but like i knew exactly how it would look so when the kickstart scheme was announced i went oh i'll just I'll just have all of them then. So we spent six months together and it, and it was an amazing experience for everyone. And six out of eight of them got not only got a job following it, but got their dream job. So there, there was one in Manchester that wanted to um, go off and do design and started working in Media City in Manchester, which is a massive 
a massive place for for that kind of thing where the BBC is and all that all that kind of stuff. Uh, the illustrator Fran, uh, bless her, she was gr- she was so talented, but had no outlet like for for her talent. So I looked for uh, an author and said, "Is under and I saw an opportunity one day on Facebook, uh, someone looking for an illustrator for a book, um, a guy who does speaker training." And he wanted, and he wanted to simplify the, the speaker training process or, or method. So wanted it to be illustrated like a children's book to simplify it. And I said, I've got an illustrator, and you know, would love to take on this work. Fran is now on the front cover of a non-fiction speaker training book. Uh, when we finished the project, I said um, to the guy Elliot, I said, Elliot, is there any chance we could do this like a real? children's illustrated book and have by elliot k illustrated by uh, and then uh, fran and uh, he said yeah sure so fran's name is now on the front of a published book wow you can't get better than that for por- portfolio stuff no no it's just magical oh, it's amazing what you've made happen so I, i'm and i look forward to carrying on that kind of work so the other two out of the eight went freelancing because they saw what i was doing and said i want to do this uh, so I still work with them now, uh, which is great. And, and, uh, and but what you're referring to is uh, I've I've always got I love the branding business because we can make anything real really quickly, you know, especially in design and things like that. So I've had ideas to bring out products for a while and haven't had the chance to do that. So I'll start to put student teams together and take them through the process of building a product and launching it and actually getting money for it. And that'll be real work experience. And I don't know why this isn't something that is accessible for everyone yeah well the thing is it's your creative mind it's your thinking outside of that box and it's just getting and you're making it happen unfortunately there's so many organizations and believe me in a 35 year career in you know recruitment you know companies get sort of set into the ways and it works like this and they, they don't want to see change and oh, we don't want change do we deirdre it's always as an advert it always sticks out in my mind um but you know it's it's encouraging them and again it comes around to that coaching people to, to, to the fact that you actually need to engage with a coach it's in, it's encouraging businesses to think beyond what they how they've already done it but you can only work with people who are open to sort of change and innovation and that's what you're doing you're spearheading it and it's it's brilliant and I guess what you're doing with the people now you know will have a knock-on effect in in you know generations to come because that will become more of the norm but you know it is about when I come round to what I've done and what I do and what I'm passionate about and you know enabling people to atta- you know, align with their talents and passions you know and, and fulfill the potential uh, and you know, live their life on purpose through the sort of the career and everything like that it's pulling all of that together and, and making it happen and it's all possible, but you've got to have that one person that believes in you. But equally so, you've got to believe in it. You've got to be passionate about it yourself to keep on pushing through. Because even though you enjoy doing it, it's not without its challenges because there will always be stuff that comes up. But if you're doing something you're passionate about and you really enjoy doing, you you keep on somehow or other looking outside and beyond to make it keep working or you just keep adapting or you anyway do you know what life's a journey and that's what it's about it's not the destination it's the journey along the way (laughs) it really is oprah winfrey once said the greatest discovery of all time is that a person can change his future by merely changing his attitude 
And I thought that was amazing. And I'm only recalling it because I, I was saying it yesterday with a client. Yeah, but it's true. We're, you know, we're not our behaviour. We're not our behaviour. You can change it at any time. Yeah, it's going to take effort. You, you can't just go, oh, I'm going to be a pilot tomorrow. You have to decide that's what you want to do. You, but you can make things happen. You can bring about changes if you choose to, you know, and you can change your life completely. Like, well, you have, you know, from financial services back to the creativity that you've tapped back in anyway i do really think we ought to end on opera because we've been talking for ages and we could probably talk for the rest of the afternoon in all reality <laughs> so danny thank you so 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 much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure again chatting to you and hearing all about what you're doing and it's like oh my god it's just so exciting and i get excited when i hear about people doing wonderful things thank you for sharing with my listeners how do people get in touch with you? Want to have a bit more, Danny? Uh, the the uh, the best place to go and see what I'm up to and what's happening is probably LinkedIn. Um, search for Danny Matthews or uh, the actual Danny if you're using the URL. I'm pretty much the actual Danny everywhere, actually. <laughs> 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 the real Danny Matthews. I'm the real <laughs> Slim Shady. I'm the <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much, and thank you all for listening. Um, I'm sure you've been. Uh, I'm sure you thoroughly enjoyed this episode. And if you have, please do rate, review, follow, subscribe, download, do whatever it is you do from your normal channel. If you want to find out more about me, as I said at the beginning, it's sarahjnaylor.com. And please do get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. Hello at sarahjnaylor.com. It's really easy. Anyway, until next time, thank you so much for, for listening and lots of love from me. Take care. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Harnessing Happiness podcast with Sarah J. Naylor. If you took value from the content, please follow the show on your podcast app. And to find out more about Sarah's ape mindset, visit sarahjnaylor.com. That's sarahjnaylor.com.